0: that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 921 AM Central Standard Time. It's the 10th of February, 2020. This is episode 196 of Bitcoin, and let's have a quote. I think we need to rethink economic policies and make thermodynamics the basis of economic theory. That was a guy named Jeremy Rifkin in 2009. He's an economist. Uh has a couple of in- other interesting things to say, but... I thought I'd start that one off for uh, this Monday show because it, it pretty much says everything that we need to say. And I think it's poignant that he said this in 2009. And I doubt very seriously that he had any idea that Bitcoin was a thing, even though it's clear to us that the economic basis of Bitcoin's economic theory is thermodynamics, Jeremy Rifkin now has <laughs> now has what he wished. Uh, it is Bitcoin is is based on economic theory. All that needs to happen now is econ the rest of the economy is being based on Bitcoin. I don't think I'm going to see that in my lifetime. However, that doesn't necessarily mean bad things, right? That's I mean, I'm patient beyond my death, and that's sort of that seven. Seventh generational thinking that uh, Native Americans used to, uh, used to. well, they used to, I want to say practice it, but that's kind of like a, that's not really, you don't really practice that. It's just a, a mindset that you have where you're doing things now for generations later. Hopefully it would be cool if got a little bit of the uh, juice going on out of it before I die, but would, am I going to be all torn up if that doesn't happen? No. Why? Because I'll be dead. I won't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. It's a little somber for the, for this Monday morning. Don't worry. We'll, we're, we're going to get into a, uh, some, a little bit more fun stuff, but before we hit torchlight, I need to give you what could have possibly been a good daily train wrecked. However, because it's not necessarily about Bitcoin. I'm just gonna you know, I'm gonna keep it at the front of the show as, as a standalone. Um, there's some real weird stuff going on with this whole Gail King uh, Snoop dogg thing. It's just it's gotten out of hand. Um, so I'm I'm gonna read you this uh, tweet from Susan Rice. And for those of you who don't know, Susan Rice was uh, the National Security Advisor to, uh, I believe, President Obama. Uh, also, UN Ambassador. We're talking about at the highest level of of the National Security National Security Agency of the United States federal government, as well as the highest levels of the United States State Department. Arguably, probably the two weightiest things out of the federal government that you could be either head of part of, or even anywhere closely associated to. So he's, she is retweeting. uh, She's retweeting a tweet that has this video of Snoop Dogg threatening Gail King. Well, let's just read what Susan Rice has to say. This is despicable. Gail King is one of the most principled, fair and tough journalists alive. Snoop. Come the f- back the fuck off. Of course, she says, like, you know, asterisk, 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 asterisk. But you know what she means. You come for Gail King. You come against an army. You will lose, and it won't be pretty. Now, think about that. United States ambassador to the UN, as well as former head of the National Security Agency, is telling a rapper... Snoop Dogg, uh, that that we're going to come at you. I don't even know what that means. Let me kind of try, let me boil it down what I'm thinking here, because this is what it's come down to. A United States ambassador is throwing flack at a rapper who is threatening a journalist who asked questions about a professional athlete being used by another journalist to further divide the country along racial lines. Screw this shit. I'm out. And I, I kind of am. If I had had any semblance of respect left for anybody in the highest echelons of the United States federal government, that is now gone. Because I got former head of an NSA who's taking time out of what can only be described as a fairly busy schedule, one would guess. To engage with a rapper who's probably high as high can be. Uh, just not I mean, don't get me wrong, if you're smoking, you know, smoking marijuana, that that's fine. But dude, I mean, Snoop Dogg is come on, it's Snoop Dogg. And so what's this whole thing about? Well, Gail King, the journalist, decided that she was going to ask some pretty harsh questions about Kobe Bryant, and of course, Kobe Bryant. We lost Kobe Bryant, you know, a few a few days ago, and Snoop Dogg put out a video that threatened her directly. So, we we going to come at you, or whatever it is that he said? I'd play the audio, but I don't want to hurt your ears with the absolute idiocy and waste of time that this whole thing is. Um, I'll get to why it's not a why I'm talking about this waste of time here in a second. Um, so now, and I can't remember the other journalist name had said something about how nobody was defending Gail King, but if she was white, of course she would be defended. So that's where the dividing the, the journalist dividing the country along racial lines, uh, comes in that in, in what it is that I said, the, the lunacy here is beyond my reckoning. I I'm I'm still stunned. I'm I wrote this thing yesterday and I'm looking at it this morning. I am still stunned at the at what, what this kind of means for me into how far we have fallen. I mean this is embarrassing. It's it's base, it's vulgar to have somebody at the echelons of the NSA stooping. To talk to Snoop Dogg, threatening him, which with obviously a threat that comes with the weight or the threat of the weight of some portion of the United States government or Susan Rice's friends and go- as head of the NSA, do you can you imagine what kind of friends we might be talking about? I mean, is this really the is this really how we're going to just enter into 2020? With this crap? Come on, guys. Seriously. Start thinking about this very seriously about what it is that's going on right here. I mean, Gail King talks about a gladiator, okay? And I'm talking about Kobe Bryant. We care so much, so much about athletes. And they're so put on a pedestal that you can't ask them a question without some stoned-ass rapper threatening the life of Gail King in a very subtle way and then having the former NSA head threaten the rapper this is beyond this is it man this is like this is like the 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 gate you pass at which there is no turning back the only thing i got that makes me happy is bitcoin that's right that's the only thing that i could even remotely reach to at this point to salve the stupidity wound that I have just received from Susan Rice, Gale King, Snoop Dogg, the gladiator, Kobe Bryant, and whatever else is, whatever else bread and circus this involves. It's just, I, I I can't with this. I just can't. Um, and the last rather sad thing before we go on and, and talk about a little bit more happier stuff is, uh, Zbot. uh, was it Xavier Tiraldi? is the gentleman, I'm assuming gentleman on Twitter who passed the torch to Jack via tip and me without communicating with Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter and square um, that he, that he was going to receive the torch. The torch as I can tell is now is still in limbo. The I'm talking about the LN trust chain, right? We're in torchlight here. The LN trust chain too is, is, has been in limbo for one full week because of this. And the amount of Satoshi's is high enough that uh, it doesn't look like a lot of people are interested in fixing this guy's colossal, colossal failure. You know, when I first reported on this for, on, on Torchlight, this issue, um, I was given this guy the benefit of the doubt, but the, the level of, because the stupidity has not been able to be corrected, we've been reaching out to Jack Dorsey for the entire week. Um, nothing's come of it, so I, I have I have a deeper fear for the uh, for the continued extinguishment of the torch than I had last week. But let me go ahead and read you this tweet from Xavier Teraldi. He says, "A week ago, I sent Jack the LN Trust Chain two to his tipping me account." Is there any real Bitcoiner friend that could tell him to please pass it along? And the following people are added in this tweet. Matt Odell, Pierre Rochard, Jack Maller, Starkness, not A. Pompliano, or Anthony, Lightning, uh, BTC Venezuela, and Bitcoin Magazine. Guy, I hate to break it to you, but all of us have been trying to get a hold of Jack for an entire week. If there was a pol- I don't I think you're gonna go down in the record books for the most insane way to screw up a torch ever that I mean, so again, let me reiterate torch protocol. You receive the torch, you tweet and or like in some other me, you know social media thing, let it be known that you have a torch and that you need. A lightning network invoice generated for however much you hold the torch for, plus whatever percentage is being added to said torch to pass it on. Okay. You do not just send the torch to somebody without their, especially without their knowledge, but certainly not without a lightning network invoice. I, still think that Tip and Me has a great deal, a great role to play in future torches if we have them, but not unless you communicate your intentions. Communication in all aspects of life is critical, from marriage to business to finance to talking to your kids to having friends to passing a fucking torch. How hard can it be to get on the horn to somebody and say, hey, I have an idea. Will you accept the torch or in whatever, whatever you're doing, you don't just do shit without having proper communication channels, not only open, but also utilized without it. You get stuff like this. You get crap where you've got a week going by with everybody and their dog yelling at the same damn Twitter account to get Jack to realize that he has the torch. Dude, Jack probably has got better things to do right now than to go chill out with his Twitter account for very long. And if he does, he's probably just opening his phone, sending out a tweet, closing it, and that's it. Not really looking at DMs, not really looking at like, you know, if he's been added, he's probably got every filter turned on that you can possibly imagine that he only receives direct messages and or notifications from people that he... That he follows. That would be my guess. If if he is not following you, he's not getting notifications, and he's certainly not getting your DMs. So if anybody's listening to this and they have, they are, uh, they know that they are being followed by Jack. Generally speaking, you're our only hope. Anyway, that's going to do it for morning announcements, quote of the day, and torchlight. Vital statistics, let's start off with BidInfoCharts.com. If you've been sleeping under a rock, you know that we've lost, well, we've had a dip. We're back under $10,000, you all uh, We've got an average of $9,928. Looks like our low is going to be over at, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with GDAX at $9,900.84. We've got a high over at Bitasset at nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine, so about a full one hundred bucks worth of spread. Three hundred nine thousand transactions were made over the last twenty-four hours, with about thirteen thousand transactions being made on average per hour. Uh, Eight hundred twenty-seven thousand BTC have been sent in the last twenty-four hours, with an average being sent per hour of thirty-five thousand. Average transaction value is 2.67 BTC, and the median transaction value is 0.019 BTC, or about 180 bucks. Uh, Block time is 9 minutes and 56 seconds. 0.13 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 20 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours we've had a 7% bump in the hash rate. We are now at 113 exahashes per second. And the last time somebody didn't do anything to Bitcoin because, you know, we don't develop anything was sometime yesterday. Yeah. So we didn't do anything yesterday. Ethereum is at 225. Bcash is at 460. BSV is at God, 355. Litecoin is at 75. Ethereum Classic is at almost 12. Doge is holding at 0.0031 at 24,000 transactions per second. Doge tops nobody. What does my node have to say? Well, my node, the software given to me by, or not given to me, but well, actually, yeah, it was given to me because I'm using the community edition, uh, given to me by my node says that the hash rate is really 108 exa hashes per second. We have a stacked mempool at 39 megabytes representing 25,316 unconfirmed transactions. All the blocks are full. We have 11,433 nodes in the lightning network. We have 36,000 channels and we have 874 BTC in liquidity. That's about $8.7 million US chilling out in the network right now. We have 22 nodes that came online over the last 24 hours, which is about a 5% jump on a day over day basis. And oh yeah, 220 brand spanking new channels, which represents a 10.5% pump. That's going to do it for vitals. Before we plunge headlong into the morning roundup, I wanted to read you this tweet that I wrote this morning. This was in response to me looking at TradingView. Uh, because I was, you know, look, uh, clearly I was trying to, you know, look at the dip that, that occurred sometime while I was sleeping. Be, because while I sleep, apparently that's when all the movement happens. So I can only assume that this all comes out of China. I don't know. Sure as shit isn't in Texas. Uh, otherwise, I would I would know when it happened. But that's one of the things that sucks about waking up every morning to Bitcoin is – it's like a box of box chocolates, bro. You never know what you're going to get. And today I got a, woo, oh my God. And then, so I keep I keep two indicators uh, other than the price on my trading view chart. I keep two indicators open at all times, well, three, volume, the price, and then two different RSIs, right? So I got the 14-day relative strength index, and then I've got the seven-day relative strength index. I am not a trader. However, the RSI, it kind of just gives me a sort of like a visual cue as to where we are. Um, I could probably do the same thing with the 200 day moving average and maybe the 50 or something like that. But I like the RSI because you can just, you know, that if, it's gonna, if the RSI is going to get below 30 on like, especially the 14 day, but in some cases, the seven day, it's probably oversold. Right, so it's got me thinking to the point that I wanted to ask Swan Bitcoin and River Financial uh, the following question, or not the following question, but well, yeah, sort of a question. I was, I'm like, I'm asking them if they can introduce an R S an R S I based auto D C A or or a dollar cost average. What do I mean by that? In the tweet that I wrote them, and they have not gotten back to me, and they. Probably won't. Why? <laughs> They're probably busy building a company. But I say let's say that I keep $100 in cash, or rather on a cash account with y'all, or something similar that makes the regulatory landscape a little bit easier for them to navigate. Uh, and when the seven uh, and seven and or 14 day RSI goes under 30, 20% of that cash holding gets automatically bought or. or of the cash holding is used to buy uh, Bitcoin automatically because generally speaking, the way DCA works is that you pick a day and auto DCA is really great and River has it and Swan Bitcoin either has it already or is going to have it very soon because they've just basically kind of swung open their doors. But my my point is, is that if I just say, look, um, on a month, I have four four or five buy periods. Every Friday at like six o'clock PM, I get River Financial to buy me 20 bucks. Now, this is okay, this is hypothetical because River Financial, the lowest you can go that I know of is a hundred bucks. All right, so let's let's start there. Let's say I got a thousand dollars in like, you know, an account I set aside that I've got linked to rip my River Financial account. And uh, I make sure that River Financial is able to buy $100 worth of Bitcoin every Friday at 6 p.m. Well, what if I was to say, I want you to buy like every two weeks, 100, no matter what the price is or what the RSI is or price. I want you to buy $100 every other week at Friday at 6. The other $200 I only want you to buy if the RSI triggers my buy signal that I could program in to either Swan Bitcoin or River Financial so that at some, like, let's say that I go, you know what, I, 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 I don't care about the, uh, the third, you know, striking the 30 number. Let's say that I really, because of my experience, that I really only trust it going below 27. So I tell River Financial through the interface that you buy $100 worth of Bitcoin every time the RSI hits 27 until I run out of money in my account that I I hold with them. Because at that point, not only am I DCAing in, I'm doing it at what I think is arguably a consistently better price because that RSI is going to track the dips whereas if I've just got set it and forget it I could be buying tops as well as bottoms but what if I'm what if I'm just like you know I've got it set where I buy all the time with half my cash but the other half of my cash is strategically locked to only activate to buy Bitcoin when the RSI strikes 27 on the 14 day or the, actually, let's say the seven day, because on the 14 day, yeah, it's going to be a little difficult to get to that that 30 number or even especially even in, into the 27. In either event, I think it's a good idea, clearly, because you know I'm not a Bitcoin trillionaire, I'm Doing something wrong. So this idea probably is wrong. I would appreciate it if somebody would get a hold of me on Twitter at b e n n d seven seven and outline why this idea sucks because it's it's not that I'm beating myself up here. It's that I'm going to allow myself the notion that I could be horribly mistaken about this. and i I don't think that I am. It's just that, any of you guys out there that that do actively trade and know a whole shitload more than I do, which is everybody that trades, about trading, please get in touch with me and tell me either why this idea won't work, why it it it's potentially just a bad idea, or why it's just meh. I I'd also like to actually have somebody you know call me you know or get a hold of me and say that's a great idea, let's implement that shit, but. The fact that it's not being done tells me that maybe there's a reason it's not being done. Okay, so enough with that. Let's get into the news you can use. Why are some of Twitter's biggest Bitcoin maximalists shilling Tron? This is Nick Chong writing for CryptoSlate Slate sometime this morning. As crazy as it sounds, there are now Bitcoin maximalists shilling Tron, the controversial cryptocurrency of enigmatic Chinese entrepreneur Justin Sun. Yes, you read that right. Some of Bitcoin's biggest proponents are promoting a shit coin. Nick says altcoin, but we all know what we mean. But why? Why would this subset of the community do something seemingly so out of character? Well... That's a bit of a story. It began with Udi Wertheimer. If you've been on crypto Twitter at all, likely you know of Udi Wertheimer, a self-described bitcoiner, coder, and troll. For the longest time, Wertheimer has been vocal against Ethereum, which she has branded as slow, inefficient, and inflexible on multiple occasions. Alongside bashing the second largest cryptocurrency, Wertheimer has shilled Tron, Touting the altcoin's high block throughput transaction count, fast development, and so on and so forth as a seeming joke, no less. The commentator's Twitter trolling even reached a point where Justin Sun, potentially jokingly, offered to send Wertheimer 1 million Tron tokens valued at over $20,000 as of the time of this article's writing, Wertheimer's pro-Tron rhetoric, so to say, has created quite some buzz with Bitcoin circles over recent months. The reason? By promoting Tron, Bitcoin maximalists have managed to strike a nerve of a nerve of Ethereum's largest proponents, Ethereans, who have long been at a digital war with the maximalists. Also, Bitcoiners have found it quite fun to troll Tron. I, I, I don't I think it's dumb, but... whatever. But the level of Tron trolling reached new heights this weekend when a single fateful tweet was shared online, giving Bitcoiners even more fuel to start online quibbles with the Ethereum. Ethereum is over. On February the 7th, Canadian Bitcoin Rodolfo, Rodolfo Novak, creator of hardware devices, the Open Dime and Cold Card, posted the tweet below and the tweet says, we have a plan. Ethereum is over. Tron moving to Liquid Network on Bitcoin. CC at Udi Wertheimer. And he's got a picture of Rodolfo himself sticking out his tongue, standing next to Justin's son. And who's behind him but Adam Back. Uh oh. <sighs> I can't with this. I can't. Oh. Depicted as himself, Blockstream co-founder Adam Back and Justin Sun at the Satoshi Roundtable, an event so secret that no one knows the location of it <laughs> or what is discussed there. God like Davos. While Sun's appearance at the event was crazy enough, the event is normally dominated by biggest of, the biggest of Bitcoiners, no shitcoiners. NVK's message in the tweet was even crazier. <clears throat> While there has been no confirmation if or if not Sun is actually working with Bitcoiners to integrate Tron with Bitcoin, it likely isn't happening. The single pitcher started something. After NVK's tweet, every Bitcoiner wanted to talk about Tron. I didn't... I, I'm raising my hand. I, I don't care. Blockstream Samson Mao, for instance, made this comparison between Ethereum and Tron, trying to paint the latter of what he seemingly sees as the lesser of two evils. I won't get into the tweet, but it's a bunch of red X boxes against Ethereum and a whole bunch of green check boxes against Tron and both of them are shit coins. So there's that. The drawn out joke even reached a point where Peter McCormick, an industry podcaster, managed to secure this, quote, exclusive interview with Justin Sun at a Satoshi Roundtable event. In said interview, the Tron CEO branded his own cryptocurrency a shitcoin before saying that Tron is still more valid than Ethereum. Let's just say that Ethereans were not all too pleased with this comment, nor with this debacle as a whole, while many in the cryptocurrency community have been talking, sorry, excuse me, Taking this online banter as pure fun and game, some have started to speak out against the weird synergy between Tron and Bitcoin, calling it misguided. W. Wan, a partner at crypto-friendly fun Primitive Ventures, recently wrote that it is a really bad idea to troll like this. (laughs) End quote. Oh, God. Uh, Wan gave a number of reasons to back her assertion. She wrote, that all attention is good attention to any scam, referencing the long-held belief by many members of the cryptocurrency space that Tron isn't as above board as Sun says it is. Secondly, Juan argued that there are many that won't get this 3D chess-like joke and may actually take Bitcoiners' propensity to advocate for Tron as serious. Thirdly, she explained that a bad asset will die through zero market liquidity and no awareness, not by trolling. Juan's comment has garnered support from some. I, I I, am one that supports Juan's comment, by the way. Though she and her ilk currently seem to be in a minority, with Bitcoin advocates all across Twitter still singing the high praises of Tron, only perpetuating a joke. Okay, so here's, you know, you, you want my rant? It's a bad idea. The joke's been taken way too far, way too quickly. Uh, this shit should have died out almost immediately None of the people that counted themselves among, you know, among the quote unquote Bitcoin faithful should have ever engaged in this valueless pile of garbage. Because Dovey is exactly right. It brings attention to that which just needs to die. Tron is a a scam. Justin Sun is a master marketer. I will give that guy that. For somebody as young as he is, he really knows how to market. In my opinion... I think that Justin Sun instigated this without, like, as a subterfuge underneath the current that all of the people at Satoshi Roundtable would, were able to feel, like a shark swimming underneath their feet while they're all playing in, in the sand and drinking their pina coladas because I doubt that they're in freaking Minnesota. Here's Justin Sun swimming underneath them, and all of a sudden he plays the field, gets a couple of them, to start this joke about Tron and he deigns himself to go so far as to call his own coin a shit coin for, you know, jokes and giggles. And it worked. The, yesterday, the my entire feed was nothing but freaking Tron. Congratulations, guys. Congratulations. You just promoted Tron. Congratulations. I... Stop it. Just stop it. Bitcoin's superior store of value to gold, argues Coinbase. (laughs) Of all people, Coinbase. Robert Stevens writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Bitcoin is a store of value to rival gold in the digital age, concludes a new medium post by the cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase, making both gold and Bitcoin safe havens from fiat currency devaluation, which historically tends uh, to be incited by surging government debt. The post, Digital Scarcity and Bitcoin Halvings, promises that Bitcoin's place in the world economy is secured by its scarcity Gold's predictable supply, elemental scarcity, and global market has allowed it to become a stable store of value against fiat currency," wrote Mike Coe, the post's author. "And anything gold can do, Bitcoin can do better," he argued. Um, a "Quote: Imagine for a moment that there was a base metal as scarce as gold with one special property." It can be transported over a communications channel, wrote wrote Co., citing Bitcoin's creator, Satoshi Nakamoto. If you've conjured up an image of Bitcoin in your mind's eye, you're on the right track. That's because Bitcoin's scarcity is written into it. There are a finite supply of Bitcoin. The final Bitcoin will be minted into existence in 2140. The scarcity is proven by the upcoming halving, a feature of Bitcoin's monetary policy, hard-coded into its protocol that will cut the block reward in half at some point around the middle of May 2020. This will be Bitcoin's third halving, or halvening as halvening, as the parlance suggests. It takes place around every four years. Following the halving, 6.25 new Bitcoin will be minted every 10 minutes. Opinions are divided as to whether the next halving will drive the price of Bitcoin up or whether it's already priced in. The halving is somewhat of an excuse for Coinbase to proclaim the wonders of Bitcoin as its price starts to rise. It rose around 30% in January. In addition to its scarcity, here's Coinbase's reasoning in in brief for the preference of Bitcoin over gold. Auditability. Whereas verifying the purity of a gold ring is expensive and difficult, Bitcoin nodes ensure the ability to independently verify any Bitcoin received, as well as the entire historical ledger. The most basic computers or even some smartphones can run a Bitcoin node. Indeed, I am running a Bitcoin node right now. With, from the good people at my node, sitting on a Raspberry Pi 4, chilling out in the corner of my room, attached to a one terabyte, palm-sized hard drive that is a solid-state drive, for about 200 bucks. It's chilling. I'm I'm looking at it right now. Hey hey hey, how you doing down there? It's whirring away. I can turn my computer off, and it does not matter because my uh, little Raspberry Pi is in itself its own little computer. And the whole thing is about the size of my iPhone, except a, a lot thicker. I mean, like if I were to fold up, if I were to fold my, my, my iPhone in half, I'd get about the size of what I'm talking about here with my Raspberry Pi and, and the SSD one terabyte drive. With that node, I indeed can audit the entire chain. And even if I'm not looking at it, the entire get chain gets audited by my node every 10 minutes or is rather part of an audit that I hold a copy of that audit. And if I were to have to do that with gold every 10 minutes, can you imagine how much it would cost to take a core sample of a bar of gold out of my safe, ship it to a lab and have it done that way every 10 minutes? Can you imagine doing that with the world's gold supply? No, you can't imagine it because it's not possible. It's, 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 that would be impossible to do. It would also be very, very cost prohibitive to do. My node helps a whole bunch of other nodes do it every 10 minutes. And I can send Bitcoin over a communications channel. Does it mean I hate gold? No, I don't hate gold. But gold has that, that problem of weighing a lot Being hard to move, and you have to keep it safe all the freaking time. With Bitcoin, we just have to keep it safe. To move it is negligible. Speed of movement, also negligible. I mean, two of the three main properties, or yeah, two of the three main properties of gold is held by Bitcoin, except Bitcoin has the issue of only 21 million Bitcoin. The amount of gold being mined every year is going up. Its stock to flow is actually kind of evening out, whereas Bitcoin stock to flow never evens out. Let's continue. It's cheap to send around the world. Coinbase cites a Bitcoin transaction worth over one billion dollars that cost seven hundred dollars in network fees. Quote, the cost to internationally send an equal amount of gold would be exorbitant, requiring armored transport and insurance. Bitcoin's portable, too. Remember your 12-word key phrase, and it's yours. It's anonymous, and you don't need to be physically present to trade it. It's divisible. Unlike gold, which needs to be melted down, you can own or send a fraction of a Bitcoin as well as thousands of Bitcoin at a time. All right, um... Yeah, let's go on. I want, to make, I want to say something about that in a sec, if I remember. Such marketing makes Bitcoin seem irresistible and tantalizingly secure against big bad government whose central banks are capable of printing new money with reckless abandon. As Coinbase points out, new money supply is not a solution that magically creates more resources. Quote, printing money has a hidden cost for all citizens as new supply dilutes the value of existing stock, wrote Coinbase. The result is to drive up historical demand for gold, especially in times of heightened economic uncertainty. Quote, in times of trouble, the temptation to print money is always at its highest, Coinbase added no risk of anyone flooding the market with new Bitcoin unless Satoshi Nakamoto comes back and goes on a spending spree, of course. And they're talking about the million coins that have been locked up and have never moved that supposedly Satoshi Nakamoto mined in the first year or two or three or whatever of Bitcoin's existence. Um, Those coins have never moved. So there's, out of 21 million possible Bitcoin ever in existence, one b- without even talking about how much has been lost, one million of them ain't ever going to move uh, because they haven't moved in eleven years or ten, depending on where you want to start the clock going. Um I think that's telling because as a human being, if it was a human being that wrote all this code and 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 started this thing, it's possible it could be an alien. i I'm, I'm, I literally entertain that thought. Um, if it was a human. Then you're talking about somebody with the patience greater than a saint. How would you be able to not liquidate your holdings? If this shit was a Ponzi scheme, how could you not liquidate your holdings at a million Bitcoin when it was $19,700? You tell me the human that you know that can do that. You can't. You can't. Um, back to this thing, the, the divisibility. It says, unlike gold, which needs to be melted down, that's not true. It doesn't necessarily need to be melted down. I can shave gold off of a gold coin and weigh that to sub-gram accuracy with a very good uh, weights and measures set up, right? And that's that's been done a lot. So uh, you don't necessarily need to melt it down, but if you're going to audit a whole bar of gold – to make sure that there's no tungsten in it, yeah, you kind of need to melt the whole son of a bitch down, take a sample of the slurry, let it cool, and then send that uh, to a lab to be assayed, and then you will know whether or not there's tungsten in your gold. Um, we don't have to do that with our full nodes. That's why it's good to have uh, Bitcoin being light, agile, airy, nimble. Uh, mobile, whatever it is that you want. You don't want it heavy because you want to be able to do stuff like run a node on a Raspberry Pi in the corner of your room. I'm just saying, you you want that. You don't want a laboratory expense to be able to audit the whole damn chain. If I can keep this Raspberry Pi running in the corner, uh, my laboratory is, is right over there in the corner. So there's that. Okay, getting scary. Mary or Marie Juliet is writing for Cointelegraph. Huye? H U I L L E T. That's her last name. You guys tell me how to pronounce it. Because I, I don't know, dude. I don't know. FinCEN says social media crypto projects can't ignore money laundering risks. This was again written for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. The deputy director of the United States Financial Crime Enforcement Network, FinCEN, says that cryptocurrency sector must not set a or must not abet a slide backward in money laundering prevention. Deputy Director Jamal El-Hindi made his remarks during a speech at the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association 20th uh, Anti-Money Laundering and Financial Crimes Conference in New York City on February the 6th. God, you think they got booth babes over there? Just asking. L. Hindi opened his speech noting the particular complexity of the securities and futures or futures industries, which comprises a dense web of transactions and interactions between interrelated parties. This amazingly complex landscape includes but is not limited to primary brokerages, future commissions, merchants, executing dealers, transfer agents, clearing firms, and mutual funds, he observed." This complexity, he suggested, presents a challenge to the transparency needed to tackle money laundering and prevent financial crimes. In many cases, information sharing and know-your-customer processes may be discouraged due to the highly competitive nature of the industry. Just 14% of all entities in the security sectors that are eligible to register for one of the key business-to-business information sharing mechanisms chose to do so, he noted. Within this highly challenging climate, El Hindi warned that new technologies may further exacerbate the situation. Cryptocurrency, curious social media and messaging platforms, the most high profile of which is Facebook's Libra project, must meet the same compliance responsibilities as traditional financial sector actors. He stressed, quote, social media and messaging platforms and others now focusing on the establishment of cryptocurrencies cannot turn a blind eye to illicit transactions that may be fostering or that they may be fostering. End quote. The influence of these private sector actors and the new technology heralded by cryptocurrencies carries these same responsibilities back into traditional finance traditional finance. Oh, it's Monday, give me a break. Quote, to the extent that the financial sector chooses to move forward with these emerging systems, we are not going to allow it to slide backwards on the protections and appropriate transparencies that we have collectively worked so hard. To weave into the financial system and you have failed. Actually, you haven't failed. You've done exactly what you needed to do. You've made sure that all your buddies get away with blind stinking murder and the rest of us plebs sit out here and just bake in the sun because none of us are accredited investors and can't take part of any of your Tom foolery, your chicanery, your Ballyhoo, whatever. I'm I'm just going to stop right there because the implication is now they're looking square at the face of social media, things like bottle peg, which sadly are no longer with us, but tipping me, um, any manner of being able to send tips via social media, all that shit that just came under their eyesight. So be aware. Be aware, you know, be, you know, be, what would be great is if we had some kind of roundabout way to send uh, value to somebody through a, a digital communications network that wasn't based on social. Oh, we already have that. It's called Bitcoin. What are you going to do? Um, oh, yeah. OK. New research suggests 23 million entities hold Bitcoin. This is Brave New Coins' Alan Lilacher writing sometime yesterday. A new report by blockchain analytics firm Glassnode provides insight into how many people across the globe hold Bitcoin. Using innovative data science methodologies, researchers have determined that around 23 million entities hold Bitcoin. Now, I'm going to stop right there just to say that I read something about this last week, but it was about... The amount of Bitcoin that had not moved and they were looking at glass node data like these people are talking about how many wallets there are. But there was this notion that that doesn't represent the amount of people. And that's 100% true. Just because I know how many wallets there are does not mean how many people there are. So this one's a bit different because it's specifically trying to tease out how many separate entities Hold Bitcoin, not how many how not the not how many wallets there are, and there's a big difference. So let's let's chew into this one right now. Traditionally, mapping the number of sorry. Let me start again. Traditionally, mapping the number of Bitcoin holders has relied on mapping the number of existing addresses. The Bitcoin network is designed to be an open ledger. This means that the entire transactional history of the network is publicly available. As a result, it is easy to determine the number of addresses that hold Bitcoin, which has been utilized as a proxy for the number of Bitcoin holders. However, this methodology is inherently flawed. First, there is no one-to-one connection between the number of addresses on the Bitcoin network and the number of users. One user can hold more than one Bitcoin address. However, this is me talking, you can't hold less than one address. You can hold zero or at least one, but you can't hold anything below that. So that may come in handy. Down the road? I never know. Secondly, it is possible for a Bitcoin address to hold funds from more than one individual exchange addresses, for instance, typically hold funds that belong to thousands of people's, people. during Due to these flaws, it is important to devise new methodologies that employ analytical tools that can provide a more accurate insight, in, insight into the Bitcoin network. <clears throat> to analyze the data from the Bitcoin ledger, researchers at Glassnode employed an amalgamation of industry standard heuristics proprietary clustering algorithms and advanced data science methods on top of raw on-chain data. This approach has allowed the analytics firm to publish a report that estimates the actual number of Bitcoin users as well as how those numbers change over time. Uh, The glass node approach is able to resolve one of the many factors that, that make the address approach false. The proprietary analytical tools developed by the firm are able to map multiple addresses to their single owner. This is not that good of news. It is important to note that because the approach is unable to accurately map the number of people behind an address that holds funds belonging to multiple users, the report deliberately employs the term entity as opposed to individuals. The report maps the number of new entities. This metric refers to the numerical value of the unique entities that appeared for the first time in a transaction on the Bitcoin network. The entity's net growth metric is computed by calculating the difference between new entities and disappearing entities, entities with a zero balance that had a non-zero balance at the previous timestamp whales or sorry whales in the glass node report refer to unique entities holding at least 1000 BTC active entities are those which either received or sent funds further to this sending and receiving entities are those which either only sent or received bitcoin respectively. The glass node approach includes <clears throat> sorry involves clustering addresses into entities. Therefore, the number of new entities is much smaller than the number of new addresses in the network. For instance, in 2019, the average number of new addresses added to the bitcoin blockchain per day was over 355,000. In comparison, the average number of new entities was only slightly above 100,000, representing a ratio of 28%, the report states. Through this data, the analysts were able to extrapolate their findings. For instance, the report found that at the beginning of 2018, there was an increased discrepancy between new addresses and new entities. What this means is that the new addresses being created were change addresses as opposed to new users joining the network. The analysis found that the number of entities holding Bitcoin is 23.1 million. The current number of non-zero addresses is 28.4 million. This confirms the belief that entities will typically control more than one BTC address. Another important finding is the net growth of entities on the Bitcoin network. The report states the daily net growth of entities is consistently positive. In Bitcoin's history, there have been only 21 days so far in which the net entity growth was negative. This finding points to a healthy and consistent adoption of Bitcoin over the past 10 years, despite its relatively volatile history. As for whales, there are 75 entities that hold 10,000 or more BTC as of... 2020, um, January 2020. Seven entities hold more than 100,000 BTC. All of these entities are exchanges. Well, clearly. Specifically, Coinbase, 983,800 Bitcoin. Huobi is 369 BTC. Binance is 240. Bitfinex is 214, Bitstamp is 165, Kraken 132, and Bittrex 118,000 BTC. These exchanges in total hold 13% of the circulating supply of Bitcoin. So it's interesting. What I found most interesting is that the amount of uh, entities versus the amount of new addresses generated Is There's like, you know, the amount of new addresses is three times the amount of new uh, people coming in online, which hopefully translates into the fact that people are using different addresses for uh, different transactions. Because if you're receiving Bitcoin, you should be receiving to a different address every single time. It will all go to your the same thing. Don't worry about that your private key can generate millions and millions and millions of addre- more addresses than there are grains of sand on a beach that are still going to not be identical to all the other people that can also generate beach loads of addresses. You need to use a different address for every single time you receive. And hopefully that's what's, what's going on. Plus the amount of change addresses that they mentioned. That means if if you're charging me like I don't know, 0.2 Bitcoin to do something or buy something, and I send you point 0.3 because that's the only UTXO that I have available, well, your node's going to make, well, the, the network's going to make change, and you're going to end up taking two and sending me back one. And that's where the change address comes in. But it's really all that, all that shit's under the hood. You don't really have to worry about it. Except, well, you do have to worry about it, but if you're a newbie, don't worry about it. it. When you want to learn about privacy, that when you decide to learn about privacy and how all that shit works, it will be time for you to learn about privacy and how all that shit works. Until that time comes, grab a cash app and just DCAN at 20 bucks, okay? And really don't worry about the rest of it. When you're ready, the teacher shall appear. Japanese official calls for urgent development of digital yen to counter China. Another Japanese lawmaker has publicly called for the swift development of the digital yen. Adrian Zmunski is writing for Cointelegraph sometime early this morning. The head of the Banking and Finance Systems Research Commission at Japan's Liberal Democratic Party, Kozo Yamamoto, said today that the country should create a digital yen in two to three years. Reuters reported on February the 10th that Yamamoto said that plans for a central bank digital currency should be included in the government's mid-year policy guidelines. He explained that digital currencies could quickly spread in emerging economies and help China, who is working on a CBDC, (laughs) advance its digital Hegemony or hegemony, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Because of this, he said that development in the digital yen must be quick quote, the sooner the better, we'll draft proposals to be included in government's policies guidelines and hopefully make it happen in two to three years. If each country manages to control flows of money with their own digital currencies, that could prevent a big swing at a time of crisis and stabilize their own economies. End quote. Yamamoto's remarks follow those of former economy minister and ruling party member Akari Amari, nice name, bro, who said that he wants to issue a CBDC to counter China's upcoming digital yuan, or yuan, however you pronounce that one. Yamamoto admitted that while the spread of CBDCs may undermine the dollar supremacy, it could also stabilize emerging markets relying on the dollars such as Cambodia. Japanese lawmakers have recently called on their government to push for digital currencies to be placed on the G7's agenda this year. Furthermore, at the end of January, the deputy, deputy governor of the Bank of Japan has said the institution must be ready to issue a CBDC should public demand surge in response to technical developments. Meanwhile, the Central Bank of China recently completed the top layer design and joint testing of the digital wand. So there you go, dude. The Japanese Central Bank is too late. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, on, on the on the face of it, this, you know, sounds like, well, OK, we won and, and we, we did. We, won, we actually won a long time ago. It's just now that the paperwork, you know, the surrender uh, documents are, are being signed on the deck of a frickin battleship. Um, <clears throat> however, while we might read positive things into those statements coming out of these central banks, it's not positive for them because they're already behind. Two to three years, Japan not going to have a a, a digital currency in two to three years. They're going to get smoked and they've already been smoked. I mean, it's like the lost generation. What has been like zero interest rates for 20 years for Japan's economy and like almost no growth birth rates cratering through the floor, dude, you can't, you, you guys used to be on top of everything. You were on top of electronics for the entirety of the late 70s all the way through the early 90s. And then boom, it's like you just fell off a freaking cliff. I I again I think it's too little, too late. I think these guys are hosed, but we shall see. I hope I'm wrong. I like Japan. I I, I really do. I I dig Japan. I've never been there, but it's it seems Kind of cool. Okay, now this is the last one for the day. United Kingdom based crypto exchange goes into liquidation. Osato Avon Namayo is writing for Bitcoinist.com sometime this morning. Dragon Payments announces forced liquidation in a statement issued on its website. The company formerly known as London Block Exchange, LBX, announced the news of its forced liquidation. The decision comes following a winding up order against the crypto exchange at the back end of January 2020. According to the announcement, officials of London-based accounting firm David Rubin & Partners will be responsible for overseeing the liquidation process. An excerpt from LBX's announcement detailing the focus of the liquidators reads, quote, The joint liquidators and their team are working toward resolving customers' concerns, including the recovery of any sums owed, as a matter of priority. The joint liquidators' team are contractable on the details below and all queries or claims for monies owed should be addressed to them directly. We will endeavor to provide a further update as soon as possible. <laughs> I love this one. It's like, we're so pissed off. We ain't ask, answering any of your questions. You want something answered? You go to the liquidators. Yeah, man, man, I swear to God, it's like service is dead. In a statement issued on the website, the company form. oh, sorry. While no details have been given about the financial state of the crypto exchange, the January 2020 winding up order points to cash flow problems. Such orders usually happen in the UK when a company is unable to service its debts. The forced liquidation potentially signals the the curtain call for the -the over-the-counter crypto exchange launch back in 2017. As previously reported by Bitcoinist, the company was looking to launch a UK pound sterling-backed stablecoin while maintaining strong compliance with regulatory provisions. LBX is only the latest in a string of UK and European-based crypto businesses shutting down as the European Union's fifth anti-money laundering directive, the AMLD5, comes into effect. Several commentators are already highlighting the increased cost of compliance associated with provisions in the new AML paradigm. European crypto exchange platforms like BottlePay and other virtual currency businesses like ChopCoin, gaming service, and SimpleCoin, mining pool, have also closed down in the last couple of months. Europe's new AML laws see crypto exchanges having to comply with the same financial regulations as banks facing still penalties if caught controverting the new rules. Australian or Austrian authorities say crypto exchange platforms in the country could face fines as high as 200,000 euros for not complying with this new licensing provisions. So there's one thing about this, uh, other than not your keys, not your coins, don't ever keep your money on an exchange because you're going to have to go through shit like this. Who knows if their website is even going to be able to be functional enough to get your stuff. It doesn't matter. You know the drill. Not your keys, not your coins. Stop it. The other thing that I wanted to say about this is that let's say that they were having to shut down 100% because of the AMLD5, which is the European Union's situation. Didn't the UK... Leave the European Union with Brexit? Isn't the UK at this point poised to be the one place in Europe that does not have to follow AMLD 5? Now, again, I'm going to concede that I'm probably woefully wrong on this. However, I absolutely positively must ask that question. I can't get away from not asking that question. Anyway, I got more up in here, but it's going to have to wait till tomorrow because we're running long. There's your morning roundup. Okay, okay. I have, I've gotten word back from my question to at least Swan Bitcoin. Uh, Corey him or Sten, Clippenstein. Clippinson, I think it's the head of Swan. Okay, and and uh, the Give Bitcoin guys. Oh, oh, by the way, dude, shout out to Brady, who has now been hired by Bitcoin, and he's been hired by Swan. In fact, uh, I heard that on his uh, podcast I was listening to yesterday. Dude, seriously, Brady, congratulations, man! Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Really, really. Kind of inspirational, in fact. Um, we all strive to be hired by Bitcoin, and I'm glad that uh, that you got your wish, man. Uh, it's like I said, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Really happy for Brady um, joining the Swan Bitcoin team. Anyway, so Corey, the the head guy over there at both Swan and Give, has answered my question that I posed earlier in the podcast. And a recap of that is uh, about how to not only DCA, but like keep a, like a thousand bucks over at Swan Bitcoin and say, Hey man, every time RSI hits some number, please buy, you know, $100 um, and then set a timer or something like that to where it doesn't, you know, it, 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 It doesn't do it like, you know, until I'm all like wiped out. Right. So like it waits like a week before it starts looking for the RSI to dip to a certain number again. And if it does, it triggers a buy. Okay. So Corey wrote me back and he says, formula investing is something we are considering. RSI is a good one. Other people have suggested to us, quote, double my purchase whenever mayor multiple is below 0.8. And the second one is double my purchase if Peter Schiff has mentioned Bitcoin in a tweet in, in a tweet in the past seven days ha ah, we need a dude we so need a trading view uh indicator line for for Peter Schiff if somebody can do that that would be that would be the most fabulous troll ever <laughs> could you imagine a Peter Schiff indication line on your trading view dude. I think that that would actually come in handy. So anyway, I'm pretty sure Corey's serious about at least the, the first part, you know, double the purchase whenever mayor may or multiple is below uh, 0. 0.8. Um, or, or if not that, at least serious about formula investing. Because it's not like we can't do that. That's easy. I mean, when you think about it, it's easy to set up. I mean, we've got all the APIs to this stuff. So find an RSI indicator that is, you know, that you trust or whatever, and then pull the data in real time down from that RSI. And just if it gets below a certain number, like it's if RSI less than this then execute the following instructions, and then it buys Bitcoin. It's not like we. It's not like we can't do that. Not sure what regulations are like on that kind of shit, if there is any. But still, that can be done. I'd like to see the guys over at Swan Bitcoin and River Financial do that, because if they did, that would set me up for. Uh, That would set up a lot of people saying, you know what, not only do I want a DCA, I want a DCA under these conditions. And since that hasn't been done yet, I am that target market. I've been wanting to be able to buy only during RSI dips, but be able to buy like three or four times a month. I, you know, dude, this would be perfect for me. It would be perfect. Anyway, so Corey was good enough to spend his time Uh, out of his busy day to get back to the taco club over here, talking to you at the other end of this microphone to at least say that they're considering it. I think that that's good news. All right. Song of the day. Monday is always a good time for Led Zeppelin. (laughs) train wrecked for y'all that was all lined up. And then that's like nuggets from the ass of the sky just fell up on my head. And here we go with this one from Brendan J. Sullivan. Might I add that this guy's got like 6,000 followers yet. He's got the blue check Mark went, went through the trouble to go get verified by Twitter with like 6,000 followers. I I, I guess that's important. I don't know. What's really important is, is what, you know, he let his fingers do the typing and, and let's see what nuggets fell out of the ass guy. Congrats on BTC hitting $10,000 and congrats on moving any of it for $4 a transaction. You see, the problem here is that that's not true. Okay, we heard earlier today that uh, CoinDesk was talking about a whale that moved $1 billion worth of, you know, Bitcoin or whatever for $700. You know what's funny about that? That Whoever moved that for $700 was uh, woefully overcharged. Not only was the whale woefully undercharged, the whale um, overcharged, uh, overcharged himself or herself, as the case may be. Um, they could have moved that for one Satoshi per byte if they had wanted to wait. But some people don't. They want to make damn sure that it's confirmed as fast as humanly possible. And the fastest way to get six confirmations is to offer a ridiculously high fee. That fee was not charged. When you're moving a billion dollars, you're not doing it through Coinbase. All right? You're not. You're doing it yourself. Now when you move it back, depending on who you sent it to, um, then yeah, because they dictate, generally speaking, they'll dictate how much the fee that you're going to pay is. Uh, some exchanges are getting better about that by offering options in the in the interface. But to my knowledge, there's you know a, enough don't that you're dependent on them, so it's possible. That that person was not responsible for actually setting the $700 fee, but we've seen that before where we do know that the person sending from cold wallet to somewhere uh, was able to pick their fee because they were either running their own node or they knew they were savvy enough to be able to say, I ain't paying you know, a hundred or four hundred satoshis per byte on this transaction. I'm going to set it down to ten, and when it finally goes through, it will go through. I don't need to use Bitcoin for coffee, but be that as it may, this entire train wreck was, in fact, a, re- a reply to a tweet by my legacy kit, or also known as Arthur Van Pelt. His tweet was actually. A picture of the price of Bitcoin going over 10,000. And he says, yes, not bad after Craig's Tulip Trust dump, which has never occurred and is never going to occur. I won't get into what that's about. If you've been listening to the show, you know I've been following Craig Wright, Tulip Trust, and all that kind of crap. The man is never getting private keys because the man is not Satoshi. Apparently, Brendan J. Sullivan is very, very up on on the uh, whole BSV or the Bitcoin Satoshi Vision blockchain uh, because he's taken this opportunity to hit back at our friend Arthur Van Pelt uh, by saying this ludicrous thing about $4 a transaction. If you're concerned about transaction fees, then learn how to set your own damn fee and stop bitching, moaning, and peeing your diapers. Okay? Stop it. Just stop it. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile. Uh, the daily or the daily terrible joke corner is that is kind of brought to you by a couple of people uh Der Gigi, uh pretty sure it was Durjigi made sure that I saw this joke from Outlier Canada aka Amber D Scott who says last time I gave a speech on taproot it was so boring that the whole audience snored
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you thank you I'll be here all week and this time That's true. I will be here all week, except possibly Friday. Why love day that. Yep. Yep. Love day. So I got stuff to do with my kids that they're, they're having like, you know, Valentine's day party, uh, sister's coming in. That's going to be good. I'll get to take my wife out to dinner because my sister's going to take care of the kids. (laughs) We've got a babysitter. I forgot what that was like. Oh my God. Um, so it's possible that I may not be able to do this one on Friday, but eh, you know, it, it's okay. I'll, I'll I'll be here for most of the rest of the week. Um, all right. So wrapping this thing up, we've, we've gotten through episode 196 of Bitcoin and, and well, you know, I, let's see what happens. I mean, we hit $10,000 over the weekend and of course we're down. It's, 10:39 a.m. as we wrap up the show and the price of bitcoin is 8,000 8,000. Sorry, didn't mean to heart attack you. 9,856.91 so we're kind of holding on to the sideways jump which is to honestly, that's fine with me. If you go sideways for a whole week, I'm good with it. I really am. We've seen some phenomenal price action over the last week, um, actually a, a a couple of weeks. More than that, in fact, we've we, we're starting to get back. It's starting to feel a little like the whole 2016, where I was, you know, 2016 and 2017, where I was walking into work every day, going, I can't handle these gains, bro. I miss that. I, I miss walking into 209 and for for. Anybody from 209 that listens to this show, you know who you are. I miss you guys more than you will ever know. I used to love walking into that room with those guys. I won't get into it. One of these days, I'm going to try to get one of the guys from 209 on the show. Uh, He's more than reluctant. I don't know why. Funny. Malden's just a funny dude. Um, Anyway, we've got price action going on. Uh, we've got weirdness with the whole Tron joke. Okay. It's time to put up the Tron joke. I know that you've been enjoying your, your Christmas present and, and all that stuff, but really guys stop doing that because you're really playing into Justin's hands. Like I said, one thing that I will give Justin's son, he is a brilliant marketer. He knows how to play the field. And he's playing y'all like a fiddle. Frankly, it's a little bit more than embarrassing. In fact, it's downright cringeworthy. Stop it. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.